Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 23rd, number 23, starring Jim Carrey, episode 23 of My Bloody Podcast. I am your sexy host, Preston Barta, and I am doing things a little differently this week with my soothing, sexy voice in hopes to find a better way to pull you into the horrors that are flowing on your radio waves. And joining me this week is Brian, best villain, Kluger. I love talking to you, Brian, and I'm happy to be here for our 23rd episode discussing exciting stuff like child's play, horror news, our bloody question of the week, bloody recommendations, and everything in between. So here we are. I am haha, so excited here to be with you today in this new direction of a sexy kind of haunting voice, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you doing all right, buddy? I'm just glad to be back here. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm just trying to lay back a little because I've been busying up my life a lot lately, hence why we're doing this episode a little later in the week than we normally do. But uh, it's been fun. I've done a lot of exciting things uh, I've, outside of the horror realm, but I did interviews for Bohemian Rhapsody with the main cast. and How was that? Um, oh, it was so great. Did you I, get any, I, uh, any Mr. Robot? Info from Rami? <clears throat> uh, I wish I had enough time to go into all those things, but I try to approach doing my interview. Okay, I'm going to snap out of this because I'm getting excited here, and I'm, <laughs> this uh, chill, sexy mode is uh, wrecking my groove. Don't get right. too excited because you'll just become even more sexy. <laughs> True. Yeah, so... Uh, I only had about <clears throat> probably like 10 minutes or so to kind of like chat with them on camera. So I didn't get to talk about like uh, Jurassic Park because Joseph Mazzello is in that in the original Jurassic Park movie as Timmy. And so he plays John Deacon um, in Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen biopic. And Rami Malek plays Freddie Mercury. And... Uh, William Lee plays Brian May. So those are the two gents or three gents that I talked to. And, uh, I kept it with the film. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, like I was saying, I try to bring like a more of a gentleman and respectful approach and try to keep it on topic if I can, if there's enough material there for me. And there's a lot of material that I wanted to talk about in Bohemian Rhapsody and didn't get to. So, um, I should be posting that pretty soon, maybe next week or so. Did the cast watch the opening of Wayne's World for the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody song? Uh, yes. Uh, a lot of them, at least from a lot, I, I didn't ask them about it specifically, but I've seen it in other v interviews that they've done where uh, <clears throat> reporters asked 
about their introduction to Queen, and a lot of them have said that it came from Wayne's World. For me, it was Wayne's World too. Um, uh, like Wayne's World, the first film, like in agreement, not the second Wayne's World. Um, <laughs> just gotta, just gotta clear that up. Um, and there's actually a joke in the film. I don't want to reveal what it is, but let's just say that Michael, Mike, not Mike. We're so used to talking about Halloween. Mike Myers is in the film. Unrecognizably so. And when the joke comes, you will laugh. So very excited about that. I, I remember hearing that Mike Myers did a cameo or even like maybe produced or executive produced it. I don't know, but I know I remember hearing that he was part of it somehow. So I'm glad. That yeah, me too. But then I, it, in the opening of the film where they're showing everybody who's involved in it, he's, uh, he's on, he's on there. He's the with guy with Mike Myers. Nice. So I'm very excited. Yeah, that was fun. And and then I saw old man in the gun on oh. Wednesday night. I, I just, I, I want to see that movie for Tom Waits so badly. Oh, he's so good in it. Uh. He, yeah, I love Tom Waits. He has a really good scene where he tells his story and it's, it's just a great time. Um, I'm actually moderating a Q and a with the director, David Lowry, who did a ghost story in the live action retelling of Pete's dragon. Uh, he's from Dallas and he's going to be in Dallas this weekend. Badass, so I'll be moder- man. moderating Q and a with him again. Very cool. So, yeah, everything but horror. But now we're all into horror now. It's our, yeah, yeah, yeah. our bloody podcast, and we've got – I feel like we've got some fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I think it wasn't like a, a crowded week, but there's like stuff in there that we can talk a lot about. Correct. However, you probably know more about – a lot of the topics of discussion than I do. So you'll probably be doing a lot of the heavy lifting because I know that you want to also talk briefly about Benham and uh, yeah, I didn't go see that. So uh, I, when I saw the trailer, I was like, Nope, don't want to see it. And I stuck by it and I'm proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. It looks from like... what I hear, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's start off with conjuring stuff. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. I love the conjuring series. So conjuring three is coming out of course, because these movies make hundreds of millions of dollars and James Wan is known to direct the Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 2 amongst big other horror franchises. However, James Wan directed Aquaman, and he's busy doing that stuff. And I think he's moved away from this, probably. Uh, and they have uh, a new director in line for Conjuring, which I don't know how I feel <coughs> about. But the guy is named um, Michael, Michael Chavez. Uh, do we Something know who like that. that is? Uh, I saw that he did a short film. I can't. It starts with an M. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, and that's kind of how oh, yeah, James the Maiden. Bond found him. Yeah, the, the maid. What was it? The Maiden. The Maid. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he has a film that's coming out next next year, like April, I believe. Right. Um. So I don't. I'm not. I am not familiar at all with his talent as a filmmaker, but. Um. This series overall with like the nun, I know you and I differ there, but like 
uh, Annabelle, the second one, it's like hit or miss. And I think both the Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 2 are pretty fantastic and are, are the top two yeah. of the entire universe at this point. And so I, like you, am pretty upset um, that James Wan isn't returning. But at the same time, I can just kind of see, especially after doing the second one, like there's there's a lot of similarities between the first and second one. And I I can see him as a filmmaker just being worried about people saying, oh, well, it just feels too too similar to the other ones. And he probably wants to bring in a new director to kind of shake things up. But so it's worrisome from both sides if he was attached to direct it and if he's not. And so all we can really do is just roll the dice like we have been have been doing with this entire universe at this point and just kind of hope that we get it a good role and so we'll see yeah that seems well, to be that, the main thing we say yeah i'm kind of glad you know kind of like a new-ish filmmaker is getting a shot at this and you know i can't imagine because i didn't like the nun at all but i know that was a spinoff and i think the yeah. conjuring three i'm very excited to see which ed and lorraine case they do um tackle but yeah i'm excited for this even though um james wan won't be heavy-handed there but yeah, I'm excited for this. We'll see where it leads us into what other spin-off movie we'll get from it. Yeah, it's going to be uh kind of crazy. You know, I, I call it like Harry Potter syndrome. Um I love man, I I could talk all day about Harry Potter. Harry Potter's my uh, escapist entertainment. But you know, like he saves the school like each year and saves the magical world each year. And then you got uh Sam Witt wiki from the three transformers films and then you begin to wonder after a certain amount of time like how many times can these assholes uh save the world over and over and over again before we're just like all right come on so we're this is going to be the third time that we're going to be with the warrens and i know that they do like they did many cases in their time but at the same time to take each case and bring it into the cinematic realm and make it seem like it's bigger than the previous film it's uh it's a bit of a stretch but i have faith that they'll iron out everything and it'll be good but i think it's something to at least think about yeah because like ed and lorraine's biggest case is uh amityville horror which there's been many, Uh many many remakes and reboots and sequels and stuff like that so i doubt they'll go that route but i know one of their cases which i hear is like one of their most their, their, their scariest case is something about a werewolf. And I hope they go that route because we haven't had a really good werewolf movie that's like huge mainstream hundreds of millions of dollars but set in this universe I think would be so badass. Yeah. And it would be interesting because I think it would change up the whole spiritual aspect because I think the, the spiritual aspect of it, like, you know, demons and uh, crosses and haunted houses, that sort of thing. Um, I, th- it, it, for me personally, it feels a more, a little more grounded in reality just because <laughs> I don't know if it's just because of the kind of dreams that I would have as a kid. I've talked previously on this podcast about, um, <clears throat> the, the kind of dreams that I would have where I would see presence, 
presence, like demonic presence, and it would just feel real to me. So it, this kind of uh, feels very real to me. So for them to go into like is, I think it could damage the franchise for people, or it can make it more exciting. So um, I think on one side it'll probably uh damage like i said it for me a little bit because i have kind of followed along with this entire franchise and then just kind of felt like it it was real to me and then so now for them to cut if they were to go down that route and uh bring some sort of supernatural element to it uh i think it would shake things up but um, I guess I'm just going to sit back and just kind of wait to see how they handle it. If they have a good filmmaker behind it to kind of ease us into that transition, I think it could be good. Cool. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, we'll look forward to it and we'll definitely update everybody each week as information comes available on this. Uh, but we're big fans of the Conjuring franchise and we'll keep you updated. But mm-hmm. Moving on, uh, the last few weeks we've been really into Halloween, and it's October now, um, and it is yeah. the Halloween season, and we saw fan- at Fantastic Fest the new Halloween film, and before that we did a main event of Halloween 4, so right now I believe Preston and myself actually talked with Jason Blum of Blumhouse Pictures, who's doing the new Halloween film uh, at Fantastic Fest, and... It looks like he says in an interview, a hundred percent sure they're going to make more Halloween movies, uh, barring this new one's a hit in theaters, which it will be because it didn't cost a lot of money, and it's going mm-hmm. to make tons of money. So, I guess Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, when they originally pitched this Halloween movie, they had a trilogy story in mind. So, um, we are going to see. Uh, more Halloween movies. I, I would say like 9.5 out of 10 chance that's happening. Um, so where the last, where this upcoming Halloween movie left off, yes, it leaves it open uh, for sure. Do we want more Halloween movies? If it's like kind of similar to this, or do we want it to go another direction? Do we want new writers with it? Do we want Jamie Lee Curtis to come back? What What do you think? It's kind of hard to talk about since the movie's not out yet. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it, but I think what I can say is, you know, with, uh, let's just pick Halloween 4 since we talked about that recently. You know how that movie ends and it's kind of jarring and you want the movie to kind of take that route, yet it takes a safer route uh, for the fifth one. And I just want it to be more daring. And I think that's been the problem that, or that is the problem that we had with the new one is that it does a lot of things right. But then at the same time, it just feels familiar. And what does it really change up other than like certain character directions and things like that. But as a, as the franchise, as the whole story arc itself, what does it really change? And so I hope that they just do go in a complete different direction or some, uh, yeah, again, man, I'm just like really trying to, 
tiptoe around what happens, but um, I guess just what they set up, just go that route and don't uh, give us something. Uh, what give us something we've already been fed? Yeah, I um, I I agree. I think they should keep it. I, there's way there's ways where I wanted to see where it's going, and hopefully they go that route. Um, I hope they change some things that they did in this remake, but. Overall, mm-hmm. I mean, I I do think that this movie is going to make over a hundred, maybe even two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Um. So they're definitely going to do another one. It's just you know who are they bringing back? Who are they not bringing back? And what story is? But for sure, there's going to be more Halloween movies. But who knows if they? Hopefully, they release them every year, and we don't have to wait like three years in between. You know, each one, so we can get them out quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I like the idea of them that they initially approached this with a trilogy in mind. Um, I think you and I have talked about that with uh, them do if they ever try to do something like that with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, where they just have they just don't do it like I don't know, like the new Star Wars films, where it's just like, all right, here you go, next guy, here you go, try it, make try to make it connect. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I hope that they they kind of plotted it out and had some s- sort of idea of where they want to take it, um, because I just think it would be really cool if you could say, yeah, I got this this trilogy, and you really have to have because like I don't know how many people out there that are going to see this new one have seen all the Halloween films. I would imagine um, most of them haven't. Yeah, so. I th- I think it would be pretty cool if because all those all the Halloween movies there's there is connective tissue between them, but then at the same time you can really just watch one and then just be totally okay, um, like a episode of the week kind of show or something like that. But if it really demanded that you saw everything of what happened in the previous film, that just seems like a cool idea to me. No, that's pretty. That would be cool. I would uh I I hope for the best with this because I like this series so let's they'll make more I guarantee it. <laughs> I'd be yeah, I'd yeah. be shocked if they didn't. Um yeah. yeah, cool. Um moving on, uh it's October that means more Walking Dead. Preston, do you still watch Walking Dead or have ever watched Walking Dead? I watched it till season three, and I closed the book on that. So you are definitely in the majority. I am in the minority here because I still watch Walking Dead. And virtually pretty much everyone I knew that watched Walking Dead, which was pretty much everybody, stopped watching it either from season three or even the last couple seasons. Everybody stopped watching it. I am still watching it i'm still reviewing it i'm still enjoying it <laughs> so uh yep. but the ninth season uh actually starts this weekend and on amc and there there's a new intro there's uh there's new things happening with the thing do you have you followed it enough and like heard stuff from like you know, either social media of what's happened and do you expect something to happen? Well, supposedly this is Rick Grimes, the main guy of the whole comic book and TV series. This is his last season. So do you have any predictions of how he's going to go out? 
if he will or anything like that? Or does it just not even bother to care? I don't know where you are. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really care, but I think some for a series like this, that's just so, uh, it's like a roller coaster in terms of quality. Um, I just would rather it be done and then somebody to give me, like you, give me the highlights later because I was just so frustrated with how it was going by the end of season three that I was just like, I just, I'm not going to keep pursuing this if they're just going to keep teasing and set up things and not really provide closure. It's just going to be like a cliffhanger all the time and then, but not much movement between. So, um, if if uh, Rick was to like, uh, I guess if he is leaving this uh, story, I would like for him to just go out in a blaze of glory, kind of like uh, just make it be a super emotional gut punch and have him like ripped apart by all these zombies, uh, kind of like uh, Shaun of the Dead or something like that where uh, that one guy is just taken out of the uh, – pulled out of the bar, and then they just start ripping out his guts and everything like that. So I think it, they should just shock people and uh, just for the hell of it. Yeah. Just go real go real dark. That would be cool. Yeah, that's what the show has done. And, you know, you, you said that it's each season since it started with season one, you know, it's – I don't know what AMC – is doing they're doing something terribly wrong amc is but almost each season has had a different showrunner and different writers and producers and that's got to take a toll on the cast and crew because you know everybody's being fired you know they had the top person almost in the business to start season one which was frank darabont and i think they're still like in legal disputes over everything since season one, but it's everybody, there's been a new person almost every time. And it's just, you can tell in the show where things kind of like get super slow. They go off on tangents. And then one season is like super action and bloody and really good. And then it doesn't get good for a while, but I'm, I'm always stuck through it because I know where it's going. Cause I've read the comic books. Uh, so it's just interesting to see, but I think like Preston said, Rick, you know, survives the comic books still, and he survived the show. He's the main guy, even though we've lost his son Carl uh, in the show a couple seasons ago. Um, and, you know, big people. That's that's the point of the story is that nobody's safe. But how, you know, you hope Rick goes out, you know, I could see them even just doing a, sh- you know, just one shot to the head unexpectedly because that may be like realistically how something that would happen or like Preston said, a blaze of glory. And just like he goes out and he's going to kill a hundred walkers, but he sacrifices himself to do so or something like that. Or like 300 or uh, I kind of like your idea, like the departed or something like that, where it just like unfolds uh, realistically. Yeah, that That'd would be, cool. be insane. <laughs> I think it would piss people off, but yeah, it's yeah. There's new characters being introduced this season, uh, a new villain as well. So, I think you know, I'm still on board with this show. It's just it's not it's not going to be fun not having Rick there. But I mean, Rick's character really has been the same throughout 
the entire show you see his slow descent into madness and just wanting to do right and then he does wrong and then right you know but you know most of his people are gone now so it just depends but this season is a rebuilding year meaning that they are rebuilding like a community from scratch and trying to be safe but then something else happens so i'm looking forward to it you know it'd be funny if um I'm thinking of like Dawn of the Dead, the remake that Zack Snyder did. You know how they're like uh, that ponytailed guy is on the other side from the mall. (laughs) Yes. And he's just kind of like by himself and they communicate by writing on like a little marker board. If he did something like that, that was kind of like a nod to Love Actually where he's just doing slides and, and they and the people who are I don't know who's left on the show. And they're uh, just communicating with him, knowing that he is stuck and he's just dead meat. And then he's just doing and they're like looking through binoculars and he's just doing those little card slides. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be funny. Oh, you have no idea. But yeah, it starts this Sunday, Walking Dead, for those of you who are still into it. I can't wait to see uh, what ratings are because, you know, Walking Dead like broke ratings records for several years in a row. And now just, I hear so many people like, yeah, I stopped watching that shit. I don't watch that anymore. And so I haven't found anybody who's like, yeah, I still watch it. So we'll see what happens. I, I can't wait. It's living up to its title. It's just a dead show that still keeps walking <laughs> very slowly. Yes. Aha. Aha. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. Um, we, I want to just talk about basically about this 4K, not about the movie per se, because I know we'll save that for like a main edition. Um, but we have to mention that the original Evil Dead film uh, by Sam Raimi uh, with Rob Tappert, Bruce Campbell, all of that fun stuff, finally got a 4K release. It is not a Scream Factory release, but it is Lionsgate. It is 4K. It comes with a 4K disc, a Blu-ray, and a digital copy, which is fucking awesome. I think it's the first time an Evil Dead movie of the original stuff has been available digitally uh, with an actual physical disc. So I'm very excited about this. This is a brand new 4K print with Dolby Vision, which is amazing. Um, I actually got a chance to watch it uh, on 4K, and I'm here to say that, damn, it looks really good. It's got the uh, same aspect ratio as its original um, theatrical release, which is <laughs> 1331, and uh, that is, you know, full frame, basically, which is so awesome. And uh, it looks amazing. Do you have any questions about this, Preston? Uh, I was just curious if it looked good, because I... Uh... I mean, I know how it looks and how it's looked in uh, previous editions. So, yeah. no, I want to know, like, how the sound and picture quality. So, yeah, the the video. So, in previous editions, it almost kind of looks like it has a warmer color to it in certain scenes. But here, there's a more realistic, even gloomier look uh, to it, like, inside the cabin with, like, the lamps. It's, like, almost a little darker but more realistic instead of, like, a warm glow and halos everywhere. Um, the uh, the Dolby Vision enhances every color, especially in the makeup, which 
makeup effects, you know, blood wise is amazing. However, when you see like Cheryl's hand turn or any of the other women or men's uh, body turn, you can absolutely see distinctions in the various types of grays, purples, and blues, which is so cool to see. Like even her hand when she's like sketching hard, like the clock face or not the clock, the, the mm-hmm. face of the Necronomicon. It is a, uh, it just you see it and you're just like, oh yes, this is, I see the veins now, or I can see all this other stuff that didn't show up before. Even in the darker scenes, you'll notice more aspects of the cabin that you didn't notice before, which is really cool. Uh, so yeah, video wise, it's damn good. Uh, black levels, the, the the red blood, the differences of they use because some of it is browner than. Mostly, like, it almost looks like diarrhea throwing on uh, Bruce Campbell's face rather than just hardcore red. And it just, oh, he went through the ringer. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, it looks damn good. And then, like, the green leaves outside and, like, the, the, you know, the pea-stained yellow car they drive. It just, it all looks great. Um, I think this is the best it's looked. Uh, Film grain-wise, it still looks very cinematic and uh, filmic. Um, exposed to like a very digitized digital car wash pristine condition which is what we want we don't want the digital car wash look we want old school filmic look and the the grain levels never fluctuate or swarm they always uh they look very uh even and balanced which is perfect even in the darker scenes so you you'll be happy uh preston it is good. Uh, the 4K audio is a Dolby True HD 5.1, uh, which is excellent. You get, you know, all the voices join us from all every side. Um, you'll hear, like, the branches coming in, and there's a certain scene in the film where just all these sounds come through all the houses with, like, quick close-ups, and that just comes from each speaker, which is really good. There's a good low-end uh, yeah, it sounds really good. Uh, the score is excellent, always adds to the tension, uh, never drowns out anything. Um, I would have hoped that there would have been like an original mono or stereo um, mix in addition to this, but there's not. Um, also, there's no Dolby Atmos here either, which is unfortunate because it would have been awesome to hear height speakers bring like the tree limbs down and everything. Uh, but... Still, this 5.1 Dolby True HD is good. Um, I recommend it. And then, uh, special feature-wise, on the Blu-ray, you get the stuff from the previous edition. But on the 4K, you'll get a previous audio commentary on the 4K disc with Sam Raimi, Rob Tappert, and Bruce Campbell. Which, if you've never heard an audio commentary with Bruce Campbell, you're not living. Um, (laughs) Because they are legendary and hilarious. But there's no new extras here, but uh, in my case, or in my opinion, this 4K edition of Evil Dead is one you'll want, because uh, it looks so damn good. Are you going to get it, Preston? Uh, yeah, I got to get a 4K player first. Oh, we got to get you a 4K player. Yeah, I need that. I would love to have own hell- <clears throat> the ha- Halloween. Oh yeah, so I, I I quickly I got the 4K Halloween and I watched it and oh my god they fixed every um, every part of that video because previous editions had horrible color uh, grading and color timing issues and it was just so bad 
And they finally fixed that with this release. Again, it's a little darker picture, but again, everything comes clear with more clarity. Even mm-hmm. when little Michael Myers is going up the house to kill his sister, you'll notice all the stuff on the walls finally and the staircase banister. And even when the shots are outside, you'll notice uh, other things on the houses and the leaves and decorations for Halloween. It's that good. Um, Audio-wise, there's not a lossless mono audio like the Evil Dead, which you would hope for. Um, instead, you'll get the the 5.1 sound, which is good. Um, but yeah, still, yeah, there's, there's good stuff. There's... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good film. It's a they did they did well with it uh, for 4K. So hopefully they'll start um, releasing these uh, very soon. I hope. I hope. Yeah. So so yes yes. Um, but yeah, that's the 4K stuff. Uh, I believe we are out of news unless Preston has something else, or should we get to my bloody question? Um, I'll uh, tease something real quick. Okay. Uh, not tease, but just kind of sh- uh, tell you about uh, so Texas Frightmare that we go to each year, or at least I've been going. I don't know where you've been, Brian. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> um, so, so around this time, they start to announce, like, guests. And um, previously, they had announced that Tim Curry would be there, and then um, Bruce Campbell will be there, too, next year. So I think it's, it usually happens around the first uh, weekend of May. Uh, so this time, or at least uh, just, I think it was yesterday, that they announced more guests. And so... Um, they're going to be doing like a bit of a reanimator reunion. So they're, they're bringing in uh, Stuart, Stuart Gordon, who uh, wrote, directed the film. Um, Jeffrey Combs, a star, a couple of the stars actually. Uh, Barbara Crampton will be there. She's also in From Beyond uh, Preston, just recently. In the, Preston, how are what? you not screaming this information? This is like huge news for you. <laughs> I, I know, right? Um, <clears throat> Perhaps it's my sickness. I don't know. Um, yeah, she uh, she was most recently in the Puppet Master, the Littlest Reich, and um, Bruce Abbott will be there, and then uh, Stuart Gordon's wife, uh, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, will be there. Um, she was also in Dolls and From Beyond too. Um, and I think that's it. I know Ted Ramey will be there as well, uh, actor, writer, and director of uh, Brother of uh, Sam Ramey. Awesome. And uh, Joe Bob Briggs will be there, which would be <laughs> awesome. That would be crazy. If you've watched uh, anything on Shudder, his uh, last drive-in stuff. Uh, Cassandra Peterson will be there as well. And I think that's everybody. Oh, uh, uh, Kathleen uh, Quinlan. She'll be there, too. She was in Event Horizon, uh, The New Hills of Eyes, or the remake of uh, 2006. Uh, Apollo 13 was uh, Tom Hanks' wife. And uh, so, yeah, I think it should be – it'll be fun. I'm excited to see what else they announce. But, uh, yes, I am – 
I hate this expression, but I'm creaming in my jeans over the reanimator reunion. That's going to be so so badass. Are you going to try to do, like, a panel for that? Uh, That'd be awesome. I would love to do that. Um, But I imagine uh, James Wallace or somebody else will probably beat me to the punch with their connections. But I'll throw my hat, or I'll throw my uh, name in the hat. You should, uh, man. That'd be awesome. They'll consider, like, hey, have a younger guy who... uh, Loves the film as well. Yeah, for sure. That'd be badass. So, well, cool, cool, yes. cool. Very cool. So, we all like Texas, Texas Frightmare Weekend. Always yeah. good. So, so yeah, next year, first so weekend. Of May. Yes. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah, let's go into uh, my bloody question of the week. Um, uh, usually, me and uh, or Brian will pose a question and then we have like a little document that we kind of use to keep track of everything that we're talking about. And then we'll usually uh, reveal what, what we're, what the question is of the week. But this week I want it to be a little bit of a surprise so I can get your honest uh, thoughts. Uh, so uh, you had nothing to plan. <laughs> so uh, this week, just uh, I guess to go along with our main feature, uh, child's play. Uh, what is the most, <clears throat> I guess this should say, what's something that's inherently unscary that you find scary? So like for child's play, a doll, like a doll is supposed to symbolize happiness and friendliness and joy. Yet they turn the good guy doll into a sadistic uh, serial killer bastard child. And he's scary. So what's something from your life that is unscary to maybe other people, but you find scary? Oh, man, that is a good question. Oh, my good. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my goodness. Let's see. What scares me? Uh, okay. I'll, 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 I will say this, and not many people know this, and I'm just going to fucking say it <laughs> i don't care all right let's have a therapy session right a now. therapy session um the uh i don't like the dark <laughs> i sleep with a nightlight every evening <laughs> there's something about the dark that scares me um i think it's years of horror movies and seeing like creepy things in the dark or something on the wall that you can't see uh, but yeah, I, uh, I sleep with a nightlight, a turtle nightlight every night. Um, and it, it actually soothes me or sometimes I'll sleep with a TV on. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I have a turtle nightlight and it's been that way forever. Uh, it's the dark that scares me cause I have no idea what's in front of me. Uh, and even like something as e- like as recent as the movie Hereditary, I made sure that every door, closet door is closed <laughs> in the room uh, as well because that shit scares me now too. But yeah, the dark, the dark fucking scares me. And I have slept with a nightlight forever. <laughs> so, Preston, how can I overcome this? <laughs> uh, I guess you can't. Yeah. Uh... I mean, my, my wife is the same, same way. So whenever we watch like a scary movie, she won't ever watch hereditary, but if you watch something like, uh, Annabelle two, which we did, uh, actually the night, uh, we watched Annabelle two, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our son 
and uh, that that was that was the last movie we saw in theaters. And then the next morning, she uh, started labor. Um, but uh, yeah, she likes to sleep with the TV on, some sort of light, and the closet door has to be closed. She also likes to sleep uh, in the corner that's not towards the door. So eighty times, so we'll f- we'll switch sides of the bed uh, depending on where we stay. Uh, if it's at a hotel or something like that. And I just kind of just know that at this point. And so whenever we go to a hotel, uh, um, I will sleep towards the door so she can, or if there's like a balcony or something like that, I'll be like, all right, so which uh, way do you want to die? <laughs> you want to go off the balcony or come through the door? <laughs> yeah. um, which way do you want to die? That's great. I really yeah. hope you do say that before you go to bed. <laughs> yep, I have said that before. Oh, that's funny. Um, and then I'll and then I'll I'll just I'll present a scenario and which which is a pos thing to do, <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny to me. Um, funny to me too. But she, <laughs> but she knows my. Uh, fear, which uh, I think I've said before on the podcast, uh, you know, Jaws being my uh, favorite horror movie of all time because it scares me the most. Uh, mine is pools, uh, swimming pools. So another thing that provides joy to people's lives, and I have a pool, I'm trying to get rid of it, but <laughs> um, <laughs> by moving. Uh, my grandparents, uh, went, they used to have a pool when I was a kid and, um, I would always, uh, I would like to go swimming cause I would like to try to embrace my fear or just kind of take it on. Um, especially when it's like when I'm swimming with somebody, uh, whom I love, like my dad or cousin or my aunt or whoever it is. And I would have a good time there, but then sometimes, you know, they have their own agendas and they don't want to go swimming with me, but I want to go swimming. And so I will just uh, swim around the step and then I would go a little bit out there and then swim right back. And uh, I've gotten a 28-year-old man uh, who uh, will go swim out there alone, but it still enters my mind every time I go out into a pool, especially alone. So, so cause, did you uh, get in the my, ocean at all or anything like that? Yeah, I can get in the ocean. I don't know. It, it's weird. Um, I won't go too far out in the ocean. Like, uh, I will only go probably about waist high. Um, I want to be able to see or touch the ground. Um, because, I mean, you don't go out there to really swim. You just kind of go out there to chill. Because um, you're just having fun riding the waves. But, yeah, with the pool, like, I have, like, uh, supernatural thoughts to where like a shark would swallow me whole and then it would have the power to disappear and then nobody I would just vanish from the earth nobody would know what the hell happened so that that would always enter my mind more than anything wow that's uh that's that's pretty fucked up man <laughs> Yeah. But pretty awesome. I mean, the shark swallows me whole and then disappear. That's some supernatural. Then you added another element to that fear, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. 
it's it's uh it might be in that movie shark house i don't know <laughs> i've seen the cover at the store and i was like okay what the hell is happening here um so yeah that is that is my uh probably greatest fear oh that's wow. something that's uh not scary but scary to me that's uh that's a good um it's a good one i like it i like it i like it i like it a lot so, bloody questions. Um, should we do bloody recommendations? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. All right, who's going first? Uh, I'll go. Um, I'll just keep it pretty quick. Um, I was going to do one film, but I think it would be probably best if you and I did it down the line as a main feature. I was going to do a Zombie, 1979 Zombie. Nice. But I think that would be a good one for us to kind of do uh, down the line, especially because of this, uh, the score and things like that. Correct. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to do this movie called e- Extremity. Uh, it is out uh, or it came out this year. I think it's come. It's either out on disc this week or uh, Tuesday. Um, it is about, and I'll just read uh, the IMDb uh, summary just to kind of give you an idea because it's pretty simple. Uh, it, it says a, a young woman obsessed with horror subjects herself to hours of grueling torment inside an extreme haunt in an attempt to confront her fears and conquer the tragic past that haunts her. So pretty much exactly what I was saying earlier about just kind of taking on your fear. Um, So the central character in this film uh, has had suffered a traumatic past. So think of the movie split. So it's pretty similar in that, in that regard of, and I guess kind of a spoiler for those who haven't seen split but we've talked about it uh, enough for you to be smart enough to have seen it already. Uh, So it's like one of those um, extreme haunted houses where you have to sign a waiver. Like McKamey Manor. Yeah. Yes. Um, And they have, they have, uh, they can do whatever the, the hell that they want. So it's like more of a real experience because I think that's, Part of uh, why haunted houses, like a normal haunted house, even though I have a good time going to them because the atmosphere is fun and then sometimes, you know, all the jump scares are still scary. But it's just kind of fun because some people, in if you go with the crowd, have a good time and are scared by the littlest things that don't scare you. But them jumping causes you to jump. But this one, a uh, completely different story. It is like you're in the real thing. Like you are being chased by a serial killer, mass killer, whatever, and um, they can grab you. And here they have the ability to tie you up, um, cut you and things like that. Um, I mean, they're pretty – it doesn't go like full out like cutting people, but it, it just puts you really in the situation. A lot of it's just kind of like uh, playing with your mind, manipulation to kind of get you to do things. And even then, they kind of still play with uh, play with you. So you never know quite uh, quite what to expect with a film like this um, because they'll tease – they'll push uh, this central woman to get her to do something. And then she'll – she does it, and then they'll – 
the people who are there for that thing, for for what happened, uh, they'll be like, "Oh my God, you did this! Why did you do this? There wasn't you weren't supposed to do this." And it's like we were just kidding. And then you'll be like, "Oh shit!" Um, <laughs> and and but then you know it'll come back, and the way that it just kind of plays with your expectations is pretty cool. Uh, it's not a, a super great film because it, it's it's a it's an interesting experience because I was kind of going against it a little bit at times. Um, the the re- the reason why I wanted to watch it to begin with is because there's a trailer out, and the trailer looks really good. Um, it has like all those uh, scary images, kind of like the Purge. Um, right. I think that's the problem that I have with the Purge movies is that it looks very theatrical, like it just looks the part, but it doesn't feel the part. And so I was nervous that this film would do the same thing, and it does kind of edge into, uh, go into that territory. But but at the same time, it provides like uh, character background and things like that uh, to kind of add more depth to it. And, uh, yeah, the reason why I wanted to watch it is because the, uh, the, the camera work looks really good. There's like, uh, uh, when they're first, it's, uh, this girl and a guy and they both get, uh, taken and thrown into a van, kind of like old school style, like the movie old school. And they're, uh, taken to this place that has like, Think of like a Joel Schumacher kind of movie, but a uh, with like neon lights and things like that. Uh, like the new uh, Strangers kind of has that kind of aesthetic to it. Yeah. So uh, the the production design is really good, and the camera works is pretty good. Uh, the acting's not all there, but it's just cool that they tried. Like they really tried to add. Um, it, it takes like a really good actor to kind of pull off the emotions that go on in this film and they just didn't have it in the budget for something like that. But just the fact that they tried, uh, made me like it more than I expected. So, um, if you're looking for a film that's kind of looks like it's just something that you just kind of grab off the shelf, like those kind of shit looking films, but then, uh, you're surprised that, uh, there's something nice underneath. So, um, yeah, I had a pretty good time with this film, uh, even though uh, it uh, kind of like what I was saying about the Purge thing being too theatrical, like I was pushing against it, but I was surprised in some of the directions that it went. It even has like a self-aware aspect to the film. Uh, there's a moment in the film where um, – uh, the, the main girl is having a discussion with her lover, who is a woman, and it, her lover says, why do you watch – because she's watching this, like, really messed up horror film. Where they're, like, torturing people and things, and she's like, why do you watch this shit? And, <laughs> and then at the same time, when I was watching this film, I was thinking, why am I watching this shit? Because it's this girl getting tortured and um, – manipulated and it's just like a, it's a hard experience. And you begin to wonder, I was like, why, what's the, like, it just seemed like the writer was just, uh, uh, doing this because he wanted to look, look, really didn't know how to make it, uh, feel like a, a true horror film should. And so I thought it was crazy that the movie just kind of pointed out its own flaws in a way, but then, uh, 
that, that moment happens about 30 minutes into the film, and then it changes directions, and then you begin to actually little uh, care for what's going on. So it's just a little bit of a, a nice surprise. Not a great film, but just a nice surprise. So Very cool. Extremity. Yeah, i got to check that out. I haven't seen it yet. So now I want to. All right, you want to hear my uh, my bloody recommendation? Hell yes, I do. All right. This bloody recommendation is called... We'll just go into it. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to see how filmmakers kind of mold horror and comedy together. And it's it, it doesn't always work out perfectly, but sometimes it really strikes gold. And uh, like Shaun of the Dead, The Lost Boys, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, those are a few examples of really striking gold in the comedy horror. Um, and then, so... Even before that, uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, a lot of Italian and British filmmakers tried to do the comedy horror thing. Um, So in 1966, a filmmaker named Michael Reeves, who was known for his uh, Vincent Price uh, collaboration over several movies, made a fun movie called um, Lago di Santana, or The She-Beast, or as it is known now, Revenge of the Blood Beast. Unfortunately, this director, Michael Reeves, died shortly after making this movie at the age of 25 years old. Very sad. But uh, basically, this movie was written by Reeves and one of his friends, and they took stories they heard from like Dracula and witches and combined the two to make Revenge of the Blood Beast. However, there's no vampires in the film. But uh, this young kid who made this movie, he stages these scenes that are like very much bloody, oozing practical effects makeup and a lot of carnage. But the story itself kind of meanders here and there. But uh, the movie itself, it begins a few hundred years ago where a witch named Vardella is found out. The villagers torture her to death. However, the villagers forget to lift the curse and dooming all of the villagers thereafter. But we cut to present day in 1966, where a newlywed couple named Philip and Veronica are going on their honeymoon through, of course, Transylvania. Ridiculous. And they come across a motel where um, the guy who owns this motel, his name is Groper. Yes, his name is Groper. Um, And the couple finds out that this guy named Groper is actually like his name. He's a pervert who rapes people and watches porn in public and spies on his guests in the motel. So in an effort to get away from this, Philip and Veronica, the newlywed couple, crash their car into a lake accidentally, which wakes up the witch, Vardella. And uh, Vardella um, ends up um, wreaking havoc on everybody in the town. Uh, but the newlywed couple enlists the help of a drunkard in town, and his name is Von Helsing. And uh, from there, it's kind of like a monster chase. <laughs> and it's ridiculous, but it's super gory and fun and hilarious. Um, and I'm surprised that the guys at Rift Tracks and Mystery Science Theater 3000 haven't done an episode on this yet. But besides that, uh, this movie really kind of showcases how like the early 60s and like a movie fan of these horror films wanted to make this crazy movie that just just it's hard to say just like it's 
insanely funny and over the top throughout, but even the special effects and visual practical effects are over the top and oozing blood and stuff. Um, it's a fun movie. I think you should look it up. It is called, uh, well, it's go by now revenge of the blood beast. And it's just insane. There's nudity, there's blood, there's everything you could want in it. Um, and it's on Blu-ray. You can get it, uh, now it's super cheap. It's like $12 on Blu-ray. Um, and it comes with, uh, a half hour behind the scenes audio interviews and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Uh, and it looks amazing to this day. Um, but yeah, it's called Revenge of the Blood Beast. If you look this up, you'll see what you're dealing with. Like the witch itself is like horrifically scary, but when it's presented in the film, it's just kind of funny, but they did a good job with it. Um, but yeah, give it, give it a shot. Revenge of the Blood Beast. Beast. Preston, I hope, I hope you and I hope Cole's listening so he'll find this one out too. <laughs> yeah, it sounds 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 like a lot of fun. Something that me that we all, we could all sit down and watch together. That yeah, that would be badass. <clears throat> so, should we move on to the main event, Child's Play? Yes, yes. Uh, just letting you know that you did cut out a little bit there. Um, I th- so for just like a few seconds, I think you'll be you'll be fine. I don't know if you listened to previous podcasts that we did and there's like a few times where i just let when it cut out that i didn't do anything okay. but then it um cut out on the audio so just just in case okay yeah but, i'll give it a listen to him okay all right um so yeah main feature child's play 1988 this movie is I, I remember when this movie came out, I was, I don't think Preston, you were alive yet, but no, I was, I was, not. I was seven years old and I absolutely watched it when I was that young. And for like a good few weeks, the movie scared me. And I remember vividly remember true story, uh, about a week after I watched this movie, I was pretty scared and I, you know, I was in my bed and it was like, like an old bed, <laughs> Uh, a box spring popped and I thought it was Chucky. <laughs> I ran so fast in my parents' bedroom crying and screaming. Oh man, I never almost didn't get over it. <laughs> but that that's a true story after watching this movie. Luckily I was okay. Uh, contrary to popular belief, but uh, this movie, Child's Play, you know, Child's Play, they've made several of them. They've made, they've made I think, eight of them. But this original one really plays out like a noir film, I think. Like a noir police detective film with this supernatural voodoo horrific scene. And it's very serious, too, unlike most of the mm-hmm. other ones. What do you think? Yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't get to the comedy until probably the end of the film, which I think it's great. Like I think uh, for something like this where you don't exactly know what's happening and what's going on. Like that's the best way to approach it. Otherwise, if you, uh, you know, show the shark too early, um, then you start to kind of pick it apart. So the fact that they set the doll up, make him scary to where when he's all exposed going into the films going forward, we have a different, there's a different aspect to him that we can find enjoyment out of. So if he's telling jokes, cracking wise, whatever, um, 
we we we're, we're on board for it all the way through. So. Yeah, for sure. And if you're unfamiliar with Child's Play, you know this movie centers on like a single mom and her little maybe like seven eight year old kid named Andy Barkley. And for Christmas, they live in Chicago. Um, he wants this good guy doll, which is kind of like a Cabbage Patch My Buddy doll back in the day. And they mm-hmm. were super hard to find, super expensive. And they were the Turbo Man doll of the day. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, and, you know, being a single mother, Turbo Man, hell yes. Um, being a single mother, she didn't have a lot of money, so she bought this um, this doll off the street off a panhandler, not knowing that just a couple days previously, uh, a huge serial killer named Charles Lee Ray transferred his dying soul into this doll when he was shot by police um, in a voodoo uh, curse. So then the the, the doll kind of tells this little kid its secret and wants to get the soul out of this plastic doll and into this kid so he can become human again. And, of course, nobody believes this kid until they actually see it, which is kind of like a thing throughout at least the first three films where nobody believes the person who's saying anything about this doll is alive until they're actually being killed. (laughs) Yeah. Just believe Dr. Loomis. Just believe him. Yes, just believe him. So that's kind of the gist of the story, but it – in this early uh, film in 1988, they really took its time. Like the first 30 minutes are kind of, you don't see the doll at all other than not even it's a live version until I think 30, 40 minutes in, which I think is one of the greatest scenes in movie history is when the mother threatens this doll that's lifeless to throw it in the fire unless it talks. And then it, comes alive yeah. and is scary as hell. Yeah. What what do you think about that scene? What do you think about all that and how they did that? No, I think it's I think it's great. Um I think there are some things that don't quite work. Um uh let, let's say when when uh the ma has a babysitter come over and then it has the great scene where the babysitter is uh thrown out the window or falls out the window. And, um, and then the police come and then she's just so, uh, distraught and upset and sad that her friend died, that she just tells the police to leave for some reason. Like they, they, they're like, uh, screw the evidence. Let's go guys. Let's have sympathy for this woman. <laughs> um, so there's like little small stuff like that that doesn't quite work. It's not realistic, but um, well, I heard I, I heard that yeah. in previous like previous script or whatever, they focus more on Andy being the killer until way later, where they revealed that it was actually the doll. And I think there was a scene mm-hmm. where they're going at grilling Andy and the mother more about Andy being the killer, but they didn't go that route in the final product. Yeah. Yeah, well, that would have been interesting, but uh, we wouldn't have uh, the greatness going forward. Um, so, yeah, I think the film has a nice progression. Uh, I probably watched the second one the most for some reason, um, <clears throat> the most as a child. But uh, I recognize that this is probably the best one out of them just because of the, the whole mystery aspect to the film Um where, like I said, it's not as exposed, but I have a, 
I have, like, I love uh, Bride to Chucky a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in there. And I, I talked to Cole recently, um, not to get too off track, so sidebar moment here. Um, in Bride of Chucky, there's a moment where um, this guy is going over to a girl's house and comes to pick her up. But it's uh, the real guy that she's there to see is in the back seat, and it just reminds me of my parents. So, like, it's funny how, like, in these horror films, like, there's just there's a there's a universal quality to it all. Um, I think at this point, if you were to go into this brand new and you never seen Child's Play, I could just see a lot of people having problems with it. Um, just because it's established, established a formula that's very recognizable today. But these were like the films that kind of started all that. Um, but to, as somebody who watched this film pretty young and, uh, developed a great love for the entire franchise, I think it still holds up pretty well, uh, especially with all the effects, um, because the, the effects were be a mix, to know. yeah, they they were a mix of like animatronic, actually short people in costume, yeah, uh, and a mix of all that cool stuff that they did. Yeah, it, and it's terrifying. Like once it gets to where it is at the end of the film, where they they burn it and they're trying to kill it and do everything that they can, and it's just like Terminator style. Like you shoot off its leg, it's still going to come after you, even when it doesn't have a head anymore. And, or the head is detached from the body and it has like a Freddy Krueger looking hand, uh, it is still a, a threat. So I think that's kind of terrifying that uh, it's like you can destroy, try to destroy uh, your doll, but it will uh, just keep coming until it doesn't have a heart. Um, so, yeah, I think it, the movie holds up very well. Uh, there are things that don't work, but there are a lot of that does work and I agree with that. I, I agree. It, yeah. Hold up. Yeah. Um, and I, we got to talk about, you know, this is a Chris, Chris Sarandon is in the movie. He's great, yeah. but Humperdinck, Humperdinck, but my goodness, Brad Dourif doing the voice of Chucky. I mean, you Hell can yeah. pick anybody ever and they won't be as good as him as the voice of Chucky ever. Yeah. I mean, you can get people to uh, do Charles Lee Ray uh, because he looks like <laughs> he looks like uh, uh, Room. What's his name? Oh, Tommy uh, was Tommy was uh, yeah, yeah. But but the voice, there's just something yeah. about his voice that just instantly is just so terrifying and yet funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like very very maniacal. fitting for a child like a doll. Yes, to yes. Be. Uh, to bring that menacing aspect to it, but also funny. And like, cause as an audience member, especially as you watch the, the, the sequels, like you're, you're just like weirdly like rooting for him. Um, you know, he becomes an anti-hero later on in yeah. the film series. <laughs> he really does, but definitely not these first three, especially this first one. No way. Yeah. So, but he, he's terrifying and the stuff he says, he's like very vulgar and very violent yeah. and he takes pleasure in what he does. And it's just kind of terrifying. Oh, and it's, it's still so good. The visual effects, even for 1988 are excellent. Even showing the doll seamlessly walking with, you know, full from head to feet, you know, hopping mm-hmm. on a bed. It's really good. 
So, uh, yeah, this movie's great. It's still great. Um, it actually came out on Blu-ray, you know, not too long ago. I think it was last year. Yeah, last year. And there's four commentary tracks on it, meaning, like, there's commentary tracks with producers, writers, directors, and actors. But perhaps the best one, there's actually a commentary track with Brad Dourif doing Chucky in character as a commentary track watching the film. And it's. He didn't do it enough, though. I really wanted him to do it all throughout the film, and he only does it. Like scene specific. uh, And select scenes. Yeah. When he's like, when he's present, when Chucky's present. Correct. But it's really funny, like when he sees the mother, he's like, oh, this bitch, the one that got away. It's just Mm -hmm. hilarious. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Uh, I. That's worth buying it. But, yeah, if you've never seen this movie or if you haven't seen it in a long time, please revisit this film. It, it's damn good. And, you know, it was such a success. And, like, the director Tom Holland and writer Don Mancini and producer David Kirshner, Mancini and Kirshner and Holland all have still been involved heavily with each Child's Play film still to this day. Uh, and I think that just says something. Everybody loves Chucky. Everybody loves Child's Play just because they did such a good job with this film. And then they went even further to like bring some camp and humor into it. And then they brought it into like a really weird John Waters version of it. Uh, and then they brought it back to form to horror because like most sequels you would say – because this, this movie still gets highly praised – and most of them don't after that until the last two films where they have like over 85, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so I think like, I think Chucky stands aside, stands next to Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees for sure. And even Mike Myers, um, Michael Myers. So what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It's, it's, um, it's the, one of the franchises that I would pick, in the horror section of the VHS store that I used to go to as a kid. Um, just because it was a little closer because it's scarier. It's scarier because I was a kid and then I was old enough that I wasn't really into dolls, but I had toys and things like that. So it made, it was scary for me opposed to a, uh, macheted, uh, silent man coming around to kill you. It just seemed more realistic to me. Um, as a kid. So yeah. And I, I own that scream factory edition. And, uh, I think if you haven't seen it or don't own it, that's, uh, the best way to, to start is, uh, with that scream factory edition with all its bonus features and slip cover and the way that it looks. And, um, it's the best it's looked so far. So correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it looks damn good and it's, it's a fun movie and you'll, Still to this day, get a kick out of it some, oh my God, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, Child's Play, anything else you want to add? No, I think that uh, captured it all. Sweet. Uh, I think that wraps up our episode 23 of My Bloody Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, everything else. Uh, Preston, are we going to tease something for next week or are we just going to come back and surprise everybody? Um, I would like to, uh, well, hmm, I want to do, uh, the rise of Leslie Vernon. Ooh, if we can, behind the behind mask. The mask. Yes, let's do that. Um, I mean, Halloween and all october and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
maybe even if you're down, have my wife on the show because she loves that film. Oh yeah, or just absolutely. Have her, like, have background. Yeah, let's do that. That'd be fun. Absolutely, yeah. that'd be awesome. All right. Yeah. Special guest episode. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, yeah, we're on Boomstick yeah. Comics and uh, I, I, and I have to be oh. for her to. Uh, oh. Sorry. No, um, go ahead. I, th- I, I was just going to say, I just thought it would be fun if, because uh, I have no idea what she would pick as a, a bloody recommendation because I live with her. So what would she pick <laughs> out of everything I watch? So I can't wait to, I want to come up with a question now. Oh my God, that's going to be fun. Yeah. That's going to be great. Uh, no, let's do it. I'm excited now. Cool. Um, so yeah, we're on Boomstick Comics, we're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, High Def Digest, and Fresh Fiction. Uh where can they find you, Preston? Where can they send you all of these pictures of Jaws to you? Oh, boy. Yeah, you can send those pictures of Jaws to me on Twitter, at Preston Barta, B-A-R-T-A. And uh, you can find everything of what I write and do video interviews uh, on YouTube. So, um, But, yeah, you can find my writing on Ditton Record Chronicle, so that's Ditton, D-E-N-T-O-N, uh, R-C.com, and then, uh, as you said already, Fresh Fiction, F- uh, so uh, freshfiction.tv, and uh, yeah, that's where I am, so you'll find some of those uh, interviews that I've done recently, like Bohemian Rhapsody, I should probably have that up next week, so yeah, that's where I'm at. That's awesome. That is awesome. All right. Well, we'll be back next week and with special guest episode, Rise of Leslie Vernon. But until then, check out Child's Play. Yes.